The origin of tales and quotes are often impossible to say, and any traditional story always has multiple versions. The one I am about to tell is attributed to several different regions of the world, but I will place it in the region wherein the story took place when it was first told to me. North of Thailand, there is an ancient country called Myanmar, known as Burma to the west. It is a nation with a historical tapestry as rich and colorful as they come, dazzlingly unique architecture, a deep history of religious devotion, magnificent art, music, food, and clothing, and one of the most embattled legacies of conflict and warfare in the East. During one such epic of feudal war, there was a warlord whose fury knew no bounds and whose soul felt no fear. Sweeping across the countryside, he leveled village after village. It seemed that not even the mountains could withstand his wrath. And in the early spring, he brought his army to yet another village, wherein one of his soldiers reported that every inhabitant had already fled in terror, save one. Within the halls of the village's monastery was a single monk who hadn't run. Outraged, the warlord entered the monastery and found the monk sitting peacefully in meditation. The warlord drew his sword. You fool, he shouted. Don't you realize I could cut you in two with my sword without blinking an eye? It would be nothing to me. The monk's face remained unchanged, though he cast his eyes up to meet the warlord's gaze and responded, It is you who are foolish. Don't you realize that I could sit here and allow you to cut me in two without blinking an eye? That would be nothing to me. The warlord was silent. He had understood the monk's lesson and learned what it truly meant to be fearless. Without another word, he sheathed his sword and left, sparing that village and all its inhabitants. The warlord was turned aside when he discovered something he couldn't destroy, not with his sword or even his entire army. The peace of an enlightened person. I'm Dean Delp, and welcome to the Modernist Monastery. The point of that story is not about whether the monk had the right to defend himself, or whether he should have done so, or whether he should have fled. It is also not to champion a kind of apathy towards life and being, or to advocate for not caring if someone harms you. It is, rather, about cultivating a kind of indestructibility, to arrive at a place of mental balance where we are fearless without becoming foolish and maintain absolute control over our own selves. It is a state of spirit where we have lived such that even death is no more an inconvenience than an unexpected sprinkle of rain. Or, in other words, 
we can control our mind, body, and feelings, or we can be controlled by our mind, body, and feelings. This state of peace, this negative omnipotence to say no, is unique to humans, and even the theistic traditions agree that mankind is the only one of God's creations which can disobey his word. The rest of creation is incapable of that negative power, and that was the power which the monk had mastered. But to arrive at this state of peace and discipline requires a lifetime of work, and one of the most surefire ways to attempt at reaching it is to do what the monk in the story was doing, to meditate. This is Meditations on Meditation Part 2, and if you haven't listened to Part 1, please stop and go do that. Even if you have already heard it, it might be good to go back and refresh yourself. But if not, here is a brief recap of the most important parts of what were covered in Part 1 to understand Part 2. Meditation is an extremely difficult word to define, but there are a few academic definitions that are worth noting to have a place to start. The one we used last time defines meditation this way, quote, Meditation refers to a family of self-regulation practices that focus on training attention and awareness in order to bring mental processes under greater voluntary control, and thereby foster general mental well-being and development and or specific capacities such as calm, clarity, and concentration. We also divided meditation into four types according to the schemes of certain academics that study the matter. We referenced concentrative, generative, receptive, and reflective meditation. Receptive meditation, also known as openness, open monitoring, or mindfulness meditation, is the most common. This involves opening up one's mind and senses to everything which comes to your awareness, whether it be bodily sensations or other external stimuli. This is the clear your mind and unfocus kind of meditation. Concentrative meditation is the other major category and is the inverse of openness. This is intentional focus on a single thing, such as breathing, a visualization in the mind, a spoken mantra, or even a physical object. Reflective meditation, which is mostly practiced in the West amongst the Abrahamic religions, is also called contemplative meditation, for it involves systematic thought, analysis, and contemplating or pondering an idea or concept. Generative meditation is centered around the development of qualities or attributes in the self, such as kindness, compassion, or love. It is the most abstract and has to do with a very hard-to-describe process of awakening or arousing a state of those attributes in oneself. We also name-dropped a few techniques and styles and referenced the more physical meditative practices but said nothing more, instead focusing on all of the science behind certain kinds of meditation. Today, we are going to go much more in-depth on available techniques, styles, and varieties. This is to serve as a very beginner's catalog to what you might try yourself and share a little bit more about how to get started meditating. Specifically, we are going to focus on receptive and concentrative meditation. Receptive, also called mindfulness, where you unfocus and clear your thoughts, and concentrative, where you do the opposite and laser focus on any given thing. 
Once you have decided to meditate, the first question to ask yourself is if you want to learn in a formal class or on your own. You might decide to do some learning and practice on your own before jumping into a class, but the choice is yours. If you search for meditation classes in your local area, you're sure to come up with something. My personal recommendation is if you decide to pursue a class, to find an institution associated with a traditional meditation style, such as a Zen center or many others. But for the purpose of this episode, I am going to assume you have chosen to practice and learn on your own and haven't elected to go to a class or group just yet. Do not view this as me teaching you how to meditate, but rather presenting a catalog of available options and methods for you to choose from, with a little bit of recommendation inserted here or there. I will also assume you have likely never meditated formally before. Most of the techniques and practices I will reference are things that will work if you are doing concentrative or receptive meditation as well. The first thing you'll need to formally meditate is a place to do it. This can be as minimalistic as you like, but the most important thing is to make it a quiet place. Quiet is not strictly necessary for meditation, but it is extremely helpful. A pair of noise-canceling headphones can be quite the investment, depending on how important quiet is to you personally while you meditate. If you're a beginner, I would suggest that quiet is highly important. That quiet place could be inside or outside, depending on your own personal taste. You'll almost certainly want a place where you can be alone as well. Group meditation is fine, too, and very rewarding, but for a first experience, I would suggest trying it alone. It can also help if the place you're using is consistent, considering you'll want to meditate on a regular basis to get more helpful and fulfilling results. If that place is inside, then filling it with purposefully meditative decorations, or a lack of them, might be helpful. Places are for things. You can play basketball in your house, but you can play it better on the court. We design places to amplify our ability to do specific things. That's why churches and monasteries exist, alongside tennis courts and swimming pools. A lot of creating your personal meditative practice is trial and error. Try what inspires you and see what works. Having as little decoration as possible and plain white walls helps some people to focus or unfocus, since they have less to distract them. Others enjoy filling their meditative spaces with appropriately themed art and decorations to get them into the mood and direct their thoughts more easily. Either way, once you have a location, the next thing to do is select a posture. There are many, many, many different postures to do meditation in, and everybody likes what they like. Try them all, and see what feels most comfortable for you. My own recommendation would be to choose something comfortable so that you aren't distracted by physical discomfort, but not something so comfortable that you might fall asleep or get slouchy. Having a good balance between comfortable and formal is often very beneficial. While you can lay down or stand, I will focus on sitting postures because these are the most common and the most numerous, as well as what you will probably be asked to do if you attend a formal meditation group. In the event that you aren't very flexible, then finding a comfortable chair that will keep your back straight and upright is your best bet. 
or alternatively, if you want to take a kneeling position, then try a Japanese seiza bench. That's S-E-I-Z-A. Seiza benches come at different heights and angles, with and without cushions. And speaking of cushions, if you're doing a traditional sitting position that doesn't involve a chair, then you will absolutely want to invest in some good quality cushions. The most common are the kind used in typical Zen meditation, but they'll work no matter what kind of sitting meditation you're attempting. You may even find, like myself, that you actually prefer sitting on them whether you're meditating or not. But a yoga-style mat might be all you need, and those are very inexpensive and can be found almost anywhere. But, Zen-style cushions have a top and bottom cushion. The top cushion is called a Zafu, Z-A-F-U, and the bottom, wider one is called a Zabuton, Z-A-B-U-T-O-N. They are often sold together and come in different thicknesses, firmnesses, and materials. The most common are buckwheat and kapok, K-A-P-O-K. Both will take a little time to wear in, but buckwheat is typically much firmer than kapok. The zafu is placed atop the zabuton, and then you sit on the zafu, sitting on the front third of the cushion where it feels like it's spilling you out. But again, the way you sit is completely up to you. If you look up sitting meditation positions, you will see tons of them. This is actually one of the places where going to a class can be beneficial, because sitting properly in one of those positions is not always as easy as it looks, and can take a while to get used to. Now, once you have a place to meditate and a posture to sit in, you can move on to the kind of meditation you want to try, and then start trying it using the techniques that most interest you in a trial-and-error fashion. No matter what you try, though, I'd recommend starting with small amounts of time. Five minutes, maybe. It will be tougher than you think, especially if you're going to sit in total silence and try to clear your mind. When I first began meditating, five minutes felt like an eternity, and now I can go for several hours and it still doesn't feel like enough. I'd also recommend wearing something comfortable, too, so you aren't distracted or restricted by your clothing. I'd like to speak primarily now on concentrative meditation, since for most people this is the easiest one to start with. Focusing is easier than unfocusing for most people, and concentrative meditation is intentional focus. One of the best ways to get into this is to try what is called a guided meditation, of which there are tens of thousands online. I won't recommend anything specifically to you, but browse around until you find a theme and a voice that speaks to you personally. There are also, at this point, many apps that will provide these for you. And many of them are very highly rated, and even have the backing of certain health organizations. The reason these are as popular as they are is because the speaker will guide you through the different techniques you should use at what time and give you things to think about. The pressure on you is essentially zero, and it helps to get more out of what you're doing, especially at the beginning. Most people, myself included, find that they outgrow guided meditations after a while, but there's nothing wrong with them. Those guided meditations will give you many different techniques, so I'll list some of them here. 
First, many will have music and many won't. This is a huge one, and some people swear by meditative music and tones, like hitting bells or singing bowls, and others want complete silence. It's just what you like, which by the way will change over time. Whether your eyes are open or closed is another huge factor. Some people like their eyes closed, while others keep them open so they can focus on looking at a specific point or even an object. Or many others keep their eyes open but just let them unfocus and go a little blurry. After choosing silence or sound, eyes open or closed, breathing exercises are one of the most common and most effective techniques used in concentrative meditation. There are many different breathing exercises, and these you can find on your own, but most of them involve deep diaphragm breathing, counting breaths, or holding your breath gently for a while before releasing it. In fact, the word nirvana comes from the ancient Sanskrit word which means to breathe out. Another extremely frequent feature of guided meditations and concentrative meditation generally are visualizations. These can change frequently throughout a single meditative session, or it can remain the same. This is simply using your mind to picture something. It can be anything at all, as simple as complex as you like. Some images are very pleasantly ordinary, others wildly fantastical, and yet others extremely abstract. It's one of the most popular techniques because people pick up on it pretty quickly. It's often also paired with bodily relaxation techniques to help your physical form stop distracting you from what you're trying to do mentally or even spiritually. Speaking aloud is also a common practice in several kinds of meditation. Fundamentally, we call these mantras, and they represent something which can be as simple as a repeated syllable to complex prayers which are stated repetitiously for a meditative intent. The mantra can be anything at all, really, so long as it helps you focus, and often people will use the thing they're aiming at as their mantra, repeating the word peace, strength, forgiveness, or anything that works for them. And they don't have to be affirmations in the typical style, but sometimes they are. Physical objects are also sometimes used, like meditation beads that can assist you in counting mantras or any number of other physical aids, like a bell or a tongue drum, or even a stress rock could in theory be a physical aid. And while many of these things are used in concentrative meditation, they are not limited to it. Physical aids and breathing exercises can be used to assist in receptive meditation too. And before we close this episode, I will speak a little of receptive meditation. There are far fewer techniques I can share with you because honing in on something specific requires focus, which typically means you aren't doing receptive meditation anymore. Learning how to relax your body, clear your mind of its thoughts, and the heart of its feelings is very difficult. And of course, everything I'm saying is an oversimplification, and you should do research on your own to understand more. This has only been the briefest kind of overview, the kind that hopefully is enough to get you interested in learning more yourself. In Meditations on Meditation Part 3, the final part, we will cover the active meditation styles like yoga, martial arts, walking meditation, and show how any physical activity can be turned into a meditative experience. But that will not be for several weeks. For now, peace 
is difficult to attain. Meditation is difficult to practice. But what is more difficult? To expend great effort and acquire peace, or expend no effort and have no peace either? You will be full of what you fill yourself with. The legendary King David of ancient Israel wrote that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Or, in the words of the German playwright Friedrich Schiller, Peace is seldom denied to the peaceful. I'm Dean Delp, and this has been Meditations on Meditation Part 2 on the Modernist Monastery.